0: It's time for another cyclist on the show, and like me, this one's decided to dabble into a little bit of podcasting this year, um, something that neither of us probably would have thought about until uh, recently, but it's happened. So, uh, Team Ineos, Welsh cyclist, Luke Grope, joining me here. How, how are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good. So, how did you end up doing the podcast, and what was the bright idea
1: behind it? Um, for us, it was just, so I do it with uh, Garen Thomas, fellow Welshman. And it was uh quite spontaneous actually. It was just uh, yeah, one day. Yeah, there's lots of podcasts going out there, but there's very few of within the sport. I found most of the podcasts are from without the sport or ex professionals. But there's actually very few podcasts doing like you or I are doing where it's current and, you know, kind of up to date with the sport. So we thought, right, we'll just go for it. Have a bit of fun and that's all it is. Um yeah, it's quite rough around the edges, but just kind of won it, and it's kind of, yeah, well, I wouldn't say taken off, but it's going pretty well so far. Yeah, like it's without, good. We haven't done one for probably a month now, you know, but then we can do three in a week, which is kind of if and when. The, the name's awesome as well, what's occurring. For what's two hours, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. you come up That's with that awesome. one? Well, we sent that, we just put it off to, uh, off to the people and said, come back with a good name. And so we didn't actually even have to think, which is good, because we're not really good at thinking, we're just good at well, I'll ride, a ride bike, so um, <laughs> sent it off to the people and, and someone came in with that and we thought, bam, that's the one,
0: it's got to be. Not a Good effort, not for me as well, it's something I just had a, a bright idea when I was injured and thought, why not, I've been reading a lot of books and uh, I didn't actually listen to many podcasts, but I just thought this is something that interests me, so surely there's somebody else out there that's keen on it as well, so, so far, so good. Aside from that, then you know, your cycling season's over. Um how's life treating you at the minute?
1: Good, yeah. I think uh it's a nice time of year now because season's finished. Um kind of had my month break and it's just a case of very, very, very slowly kind of getting back into it. Um you can, you know, still ride the bike, doing a bit in the gym, but it's all kind of quite low key, um, relaxed. There's no 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 one scrutinizing your training or anything like that. It's just kind of go Out if and when, it's just, it's, and the weather's you know, it's hanging on it over here, and it? it's, it's still quite nice. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice month, October, and uh, yeah, sh- shortly in, into December, start picking it up, and it'll all get a bit serious and uh, not so fun. But for now, it's kind of half off season, half training so it's a good time of year. Yeah, it's the only time of year when I can really go
0: and ride with you, pros, and, and stick with you. Even are you, you alright to today at the dome, mate? Yeah thanks to sell yourself. <laughs> tell everybody that. Tell, uh, tell everyone who's a real beast. Uh, I was scared whenever you guys turned up left because even you guys going easy up my dawn. I thought this is gonna to be tough, but but hey, oh man, I I managed to hang in there and beat a sprinter along with as as well as uh, Sam Bennett. So I enjoy going for a longer rides with somebody like Sam uh, because he's not just as strong as you guys in the hills. <laughs> but whenever I see you guys uh, mountain goats going up there, it always scares the bejesus out of me. But we made it up at the top, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, then that was on that. the other side. Yeah. Stop for a
1: staker, steak for lunch. Oh, I can't be. it. That's what that. we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's a good was...
0: ride. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's uh, nice at the end of a cycle like that. Eh? Uh, steak and chips. Yeah, you can't go past that. Right, let's go back to early days then. The the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about before you were a professional, because I know a big part of your career when you signed with Team Sky, now Team Ineos, but uh, where the hell did Luke Rowe come from and why did he want to ride a bike?
1: Oh, I think um, it's something I always wanted to do from a young age. You know, I cycled pretty much all my life when I was, you know, eight year old. I was already racing bikes. Um, both my parents cycled. Both my grandparents cycled. It's something that's always been in the family. Um, and then yeah, you just kind of go through the ranks, don't you? And it was never, it was never something that I thought this is going to be a job. You know, it's the amount of kids who who, who think that and. Um, at the end the end result, very small pe- small amount of people actually reach that goal. So it was always just um just a hobby, just a pastime and, and just a bit of fun. Um and then of course you get to that age where it's kind of a crossroads in life. Do I you know, do I really focus on this and, and try and make something of myself or do I, you know, do what everyone else is doing and go on the piss three times a week <laughs> and go to Ibiza once a year and all that. So uh yeah, it's came a point where I thought right this this is it, I'm, I'm gonna give it a crack and and that was around, I guess, around 16, 17, where, you know, it, it all got quite serious then. And I, I genuinely thought there was, you know, a small chance that I might be able to make, make a living out of this. um. Yeah, and then what I got on the Great Britain under-23 team, which, you know, that's kind of, that was a big step towards reaching the end goal. That's, you know, for those who aren't so much into cycling, that's, um, to get on that squad is... is Quite a big deal. I'm um, looking back, it kind of paved the way for me. Um, And then I did three years amateur, so I'd have been what I mean 18, 19, no, no, 19, 20, and 21. And then when I was 22, um, that was my first year with Team Sky. So what's that now? 2012, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, Yeah, so I've just finished my year Pro.
0: Yeah, it's pretty impressive sticking with one team right through your pro- professional career. So you, you obviously find uh, a home and somewhere that you like and feel comfortable. And it is whenever I ride with you guys, I can see there is a real camaraderie there. And a lot of the other guys like Garrett Thomas have stayed there for almost the same period as you, I think. So um, whenever you find a place like that, it's, it's, it's like I imagine if you worked in an office job nine to five. And if, if you enjoy going there day in, day out, then why change it?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it for me. If um, like there's a lot of factors that drag me there and, um obviously being the only British British registered uh, pro tour team, that's that that that's a big one. Um and it's just a kind of case of if it's not broke, don't fix it. And it's all been pretty smooth sailing for me. I think you know the team and the staff, the riders, they know what they get from me. I'm pretty consistent throughout the course of a season. It they know what they're gonna get from me, but I know what I can expect from them. Um, so it's just a case of yeah, if it's not broke, not broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, I've just you know I've got a couple of year, more years left on the contract, so that'll take me up to ten years there. Wow. Um and yeah, long well, may it continue really? I don't think you know. Um, don't think there's any real reason to change. No. That being said, you know if something comes up, then you know you always as a sportsman you know is you have to look at options all the time. But uh,
0: well, if I end up setting up um, an Irish rider only cycling team. Would You come for the interview and do your best Paddy accent. Come for the bands, you do a good enough Irish accent. So, if part of the contract was just to speak with an Irish accent all year, I reckon you just fit, fit in I like think, uh, Brad Pitt and Snatch.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Sam Bennett, um, kind of mastered the art of taking the piss out of Sam Bennett with an Irish accent. Um, yeah, you just call him Paddy, he doesn't yeah.
0: get Sam anymore, he just gets Paddy. Yeah, hey, you're Paddy, fuck. <laughs> it's good, though, isn't it? Yeah, he takes it Thanks. Well, Sam, Sam takes it as well as anybody. I'm going to get Sam on the show soon as well, just to, to rip it out of him, as, as we enjoy doing <laughs> He takes it and gives it pretty well, doesn't <laughs> he? He does give it too. I'm keen to, to talk about uh, the beginning as well then, because I know you have um, a brother that races too, so similar to me. I grew up with racing brothers, and he's two years older than me, so... I know how elder brothers can be that whatever they're doing, you want to do it as well, but I think they're smart and catch on to that too. So they almost kind of goad you along and try and get you to do things that are outside your, your comfort zone. Was your brother kind
1: or did he uh, rip you a little bit? He was good as gold to be fair to him. Um, like you say, whatever your older brother does, you kind of follow in the footsteps, don't you? And he was, I'd say he was probably not, not probably, definitely more talented than myself. Um, he just kind of got sick at the wrong time and that, like where I spoke about that stage where you're at crossroads you decide which way to take at that point, he kind of got sick in his career and he got glandular fever for a couple of years and, um, but he was actually, yeah, bloody good. Um, but yeah, didn't, didn't make it. Unfortunately, he went down a different route in life. So, uh, but he was, he was good to me and I think we were, you know, we raced together a lot. We were two years apart, so we, have, we often end up in the same races. And uh, yeah, we had a real good like approach to it, kind of similar to a pro team now, is that as long as the team wins, you don't care who. It was yeah. almost like the same, like we'd work, we were probably working for each other and like I'd sacrifice myself for him and vice versa, you know, alternate weekends and stuff like that. Um, So we are probably well above our years in that sense that we were prepared to sacrifice our own uh, ride for a for, for brother, which... Yeah, when you're 12, 14, 16, That's quite rare, isn't it? Yeah. But we were, you know, quite successful throughout the younger years because we were, yeah, we'd actually work together, which you know other kids had no idea about. And uh, that's interesting because uh, yeah, he was good to me. Fair play.
0: And my brothers and I, um, once we did start, how many race, have you? Got? So there's four boys. Yeah. Uh, my twin brother Raymond doesn't race, okay. but Michael and John now race, and then our two sisters as well. Typically, big old Irish family. But yeah, for us, whenever we were racing professionally, then. The most important thing was having that name Laverty on the trophy but like you said uh, there is a lot of uh, racing brothers that um, in our game it's important to first you have to beat your teammate because it's not like your game where you might have 10 yeah. guys out there we've got two and that's the one you're measured against so that's the guy you got to beat because if he's beating you in the same kit then uh, your job's in question. But for some guys, they almost treat their their brother it's like the first yeah. guy they got to beat, which is just completely counterproductive. So, I think you must have had a, a good upbringing, like like we did as well. Your parents mustn't have um, been too forceful They must have encouraged you, which is important.
1: No, I think, you know, when you look back and you look at you look back at like them forceful parents and the, the like pushy parents, yeah, like them, them kids are not around anymore. Are they like no. certainly in my sport, you know, when you see like 10, 12, 14 year old and the parents are like. Going nuts at the kids if they're not successful and like making them train in shit weather where yeah. a twelve year old kid just it's raining go inside the playstation, man, go build a <laughs> dent down the woods, <laughs> isn't it? But you, you see them kids who are you know push hard at a young age that you know there's none of them around now. That's true. So yeah. yeah, my parents took a good approach in that. Like it was just a hobby, you know. If you want to go ride your bike, ride your bike. If you want to go down the park or you know go down the woods and cause trouble, you know. But make a den or jump in the river, then crack on. I think uh, they had a good balance for that. And of course, it gets to an age where you're know, trying to try and steer you into doing the right thing. And yeah, come on, you, you, let's just try and ride your bike a couple of times this week and whatever. But there also comes a time we have to say, you know, if you're 16, 17, then buy you a couple of cans on a Friday night <laughs> as well. It's a fine balance, isn't it? All oh,
0: right, that's uh, it's very true. That's uh how you end up with a lengthy career if you want a, a kid to be this sensation as they arrive on a teenager and there's a good chance they may win but it ain't gonna last long no. and they, they burn out and the passion and desires and there you've got to to want to do it yourself and exactly uh, like you mentioned if your parents steer you whenever you need that steering but there's it's a fine line isn't it because you remember whenever you got to that age and puberty's kicking in and your parents you just want to argue with them yeah. so it must be a tough old job being a parent of um a kid that you can see he's got potential in sport but what do you do you don't want to force them you you gotta let them find their own way but you do know better than them because you've been in this uh, world longer than the kid but i remember those years and you wouldn't really listen to your parents much would you
1: exactly and i think if you're you know too much too young you're gonna get to like 17 18 and that's where it really starts really i think before that's just been a bit of fun and you're gonna think I've been full glass with this six years already i know over this I'm done and then the amount of people who you see when they get to that age like 16, 17, 18 is where I think most people pack it in because you get to that age where you can start going out on the town Yeah. Um, you know sex drugs and rock and roll people <laughs> you know they get that freedom to go into town and, and have a couple of drinks and go to nightclubs and that's where a lot of cyclists seem to fizzle out I think a lot of sportsmen in general fizzle out during that age but if you can kind of get over that hurdle and, you know, just for me, it was a fine balance. I enjoyed a night out on the odd party, but it was, um, you know, th- generally throughout the week, I'd be focused in what I was doing and that was, that was purely riding the bike. But yeah, for, for a parent, you know, <laughs> if you can see your kid's super talented and he's just, you know, messing around, that's, that's hard to watch, isn't it? But yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it.
0: Yeah. So... At that age, whenever you were in school, so you were riding for Team uh, Mindy Flyers, your yeah. brother Matt was as well, and even Garrett Thomas, so you're still teammates with now. The It seemed to be a hell of a breeding ground. Well, I don't know what you guys were doing there, but is there any chance for me if I go and sign up with Mindy Flyers? <laughs> it's too late for me at 33 if I got a shot. Don't laugh. You'd be the right
1: height to sign up for Mindy Flyers, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's based on weight, not age then.
1: No, just purely height, mate. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> You'd be laughing.
0: i just get cleanly shaven, <laughs> arrive there, bring my little backpack with my lunchbox from my mum. Give me under 14s. <laughs> well,
1: we? Um, again, I think we, I got lucky in that, just got born and bred in Cardiff and there was this hotbed of cycling and when we used to go to a bike race, you used to see a lot of kids turn up, but they'd be in the back of their car with their parents, you know, and just the three of them would go away to a race where with the Mandy Flyers, it was, um, you know, you, you'd meet on the way up and get in a minibus and there'd be 15 you in a minibus and Mm. you just, you know, play music all the way up and spin the ball through from there. And, you know, as kids just having fun and it was all about the trip and whilst you were there, you'd do a bike race as well. So that level of enjoyment was there, similar to what we were talking about before, you know, at a young age. And, you know, if you look, if you look now, there's, um. Five world tour, world tour wild cyclists, and three of them come from mainly flyers. Myself, Garant, and Owen and Dual all come from the mainly flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, all currently in in Team Ineos. You know they're both Olympic champions on the track. Uh, Garant obviously Tour of France champion. So it's actually mad that when you think back to that, you know that bunch of mainly flyers, little kids, you know rocking around on a Wednesday night or Friday night round Maindy in the middle of winter it was pretty bitter. I've, I've come on to, you know, like in Garrett's case win the Tour de France. and um, yeah, it's cool to be a It's cool to be a part of and just during that, you know, just discovering a hotbed of cycling down in down in Maine. It's it's kind of surreal really.
0: And then the next step from there they didn't move on then with the Olympic development programme?
1: Yeah, so got on there um f- from there it was yeah, I stayed in there for a while. And then, I guess, my first real decent team, I guess, would be um, Glendine. So that was kind of the the best team in Britain for juniors. So that would be 16, 17-year-olds. Um, and from there, that was that was like the number one team in Britain. It, it, they, they signed all the best guys. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to be a part of that. There was seven or eight of us and, you know, the owners just kind of went out there and bought the seven or eight best in the country and the team kind of dominated but that was that was like the first real team and the first team i went to where for example you got your free kit and you got your free yeah. you know free jersey and your free bike i, I, I bet, bet was, you felt like
0: a, a pro then oh, i felt a million dollars yeah
1: dogs bollocks you know as soon as you get before that everything like if you wanted a pair of socks I'd have to go to the shops and buy them if yeah. you wanted a set of wheels you'd have to save up and, uh, and you know, they're not, they're like £1,000, aren't they? So you yeah. have to save up for, well, you know, get them off Christmas accumulatively, accumulative, that's the word. There you it. go. Honey. <laughs> uh Off a load of people or something like that, you know. Um, but then when you join that team and I was 16, 17, then you get given a bike for free. You know, in terms of, you know, in this podcast talking about stages throughout your career, You know, pre being professional, Uh I guess that's quite a big milestone as well to get given you know free bike and free jersey and yeah, that that feeling. It It wasn't a penny in your back pocket, but it was just the first sign of getting something for free, which is is, you know a stepping stone to becoming professional, really, isn't it? It's true. It's the moment whenever you
0: feel like, oh yeah, this is you get the the butterflies in your your stomach because you're like, oh this is I'm on the way here. I'm I'm getting for people want to give me some free kit to. The ride, so you must be doing pretty good. And you mentioned then at that age, you're a teenager, 16, 17. And then uh, I'm keen to know as well because I know you did the track mm. so So, between track and road, where were you in your head at that stage? Because you're a young guy it. Chris Hoy is winning uh, medals on the track, and you're going to be watching, I'm sure, like I was at that age, the Tour de France, like Alberto Contador and Cadell Evans. Uh, which way did, did you see yourself going uh, at that stage?
1: For me, it was always purely road. Um, you know, I did a lot of track. I did uh, quite a few six days. I was lucky enough to be a part of the, um, the track set up and the team suit for a short while, but it soon became quite clear that I just wasn't good enough on the track. Um, whilst I was in, yeah, I was on the podium squad, which is kind of the, the top team. And I was racing alongside, you know, some good guys. It was mid-Olympic cycle, so... You know they were just kind of trying new you guys, you know, and I knew I was just kind of fodder, Basically, I wasn't. I just wasn't good enough. It's as simple as that on the on the track, and I think on the track, um, it's so cutthroat because essentially it's all built around the team pursuit, so that's four guys. Yeah, and, and the speeds else,
0: that you guys do though are incredible. Is it like sixty kilometers an hour
1: more? Yeah, it's it's, it's just becoming more and more just like a sprinter's event yeah. purely, even in endurance races. You know, you look who's winning them. It's Elia Viviani and Mark Cavendish and these guys. It's not so much an endurance sport at all anymore. But, if you you know, if you want to make it to the top of track cycling for GB, there's four guys on the track. It's just to be one of the best four in the UK, and that's it. If you're fifth, it means nothing. You're not going to the Olympics, you're not going to the Worlds. Right, yeah. You're forever going to be sat on the bench. So, yeah, I simply wasn't good enough, and for me, it was just a case of I didn't enjoy it either. It's that repetition of the track where you go in every day, you go to the track, you see the same people. You do the same 250-meter lap around the track a thousand times and go home. And, that, and that's day in, day out. On the road, you, you know what it's like. And you just go out, go where you want, meet different people, yeah. different weather, different country, countries. And it's just amazing, that sense of freedom. So for me, it was always... And I was just better on the road. It's, it's come soon become quite apparent. Um, so despite, yeah, doing World Cups on the track and, and being... I wouldn't even say semi successful, like just average really. Um so despite doing that on the track, it was a great experience, but uh, essentially my eyes was, was always bound to the road, yeah.
0: Um it's fine that it helped your bike handling skills as well though, because you see all the track riders they can do some impressive stuff on two wheels.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I think they bounce off each other. Like the you know, the, the road clearly helps the track, but the track for sure helps the road with that.
0: You can almost see the track cyclists whenever I follow you guys because I'm usually don't ride in front of you. Yeah. I'm riding behind you. <laughs> but you can see that your position, it's fine tuned. Yeah. Some guys that have never ridden on the track are a little bit more rough and ready and I'm kind of studying them going, oh, why is their ankle like that? Or why is their knee a little bit out? Whereas yeah. you track guys are just perfectly central. that's true actually.
1: That's something I have really thought about. But like even you look at the ride today, like like Sam obviously rode quite a lot of track. I rode quite a lot of track and Froome was there as well. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, he's coming back from injury, but he's always been the same. He hasn't, he's quite all over the bike, isn't he? And maybe, yeah, track would have, like, just thinking one example like that. But if you look, think of all the track guys, like Elia Viviani's, like, Super Schuss and Elio Geiser and Bradley Wiggins, they're all like super smooth, aren't they?
0: Yeah, you can almost see if because on video you can't spot them. I never really thought about that. It's a good point. yeah I'm here all week, talk to don't you worry, you guys uh, need a coach, <laughs> and I, I've always noticed it because in video you can't see those details, but if you see a still image, a photo, there may yeah. be a point whenever a guy's getting an elbow out or a knee poking out, whereas track cyclists, even on the road, climbing up a mountain, they're always just like a, they're a machine, Yeah, you can spot the difference, so that yeah, I was getting to know that one because of how things were going in track cycling at that time, they were within a big development program as well, I know there was a lot being put into that. I was a guy like Chris Hoy winning medals. I was keen to know if that was steering you, but it's it's nice to hear that you had your own path and you were like, no, I want to go and do that. So your next step then was with a amateur team, Rafa Condor, yeah. and similar to Sky and Ineos, you you stayed there for a fair few years as well. You seemed to to, yeah. to like um being in one spot and making it your home.
1: Yeah, I think I want to find a place and I like it. It's just kind of. I like to stay loyal to, to them as well. And when they're good to me, I like to be good to them. And similar thing really, I did, um, you know, my, my couple of years junior there and that was, that was great. And I, you know, I would have stayed there longer if, if I hadn't have been for, you know, the next step, which was moving on to the academy, which was a step I had to make in a no brainer. But right. um, that was, yeah, that was, I was in a fortunate position there because that was actually like a, kind of a semi-pro team for, in, in, within Britain. And I was still a junior, but they, this, this pro team supported one junior and that was me. So again, it was another team where I kind of got a bit of free swag, <laughs> you know, a free bike and a free kit. And so that was again, nice. And that was, you know, one of the teams that you kind of looked up to as, as, as a young lad as, you know, this, this British professional team. Yeah. And I remember them as well. Yeah. So it was, you know, they had some good riders there. They had, Chris Newton Christian House Graham Briggs just to name a few Um, the first year I was there my brother was riding for them as well so that was pretty cool you know being in the same kit as, as your brother I think yeah we've always gotten well to be able to race the local races you know within Cardiff and Wales as, as teammates was was cool Um, but yeah did a couple of years there and that was that was great actually I, I, I enjoyed them you know, just being you know just that little bit it just felt like a step closer again, you know, kind yeah. of, as we we're saying, climbing towards that, that pro tour contract, the professional contract, um, just to be there, the one rider that they chose to be the junior rider. You know, beneath the pro tour team, sorry, beneath the professional professional team was it was quite an honor actually. That was that was a good few years. And you won
0: a couple of big races at that stage then in the Netherlands, the TLM Tour. You won it twice, so. As a young guy, that must have been catching the eye of a few teams, but you stayed there for, for quite a few years. Whenever I look at a lot of um, the, the cyclists, even the couple that I did uh, interview before with the, the paddies, Nicholas Roach and uh. Phil Dagnan, you know they kind of did a couple of years in the, the amateur team, and then they got the, the Neil Pro contract and stepped yeah. up. But you stayed there for a few more years. Was there any other teams kind of dangling on the, the, the car or... you know? Was it really a team Sky Skydive Brailsford was the first to, to come to you with a pro contract?
1: I had a, I had a few offers when I, um, so, so I did three years, am, three years amateur, so that's so a class amateur is you know you do junior and then after that you do amateur, so yeah, um, under 23 category. So I did three years amateur before I turned professional, and that was, um, like you said, then two ZLM wins were, um, Nations Cup, so that's like the European, no, no, world actually, world, world series basically from for from twenty threes, and there was only five six of them during the year, so to win, so to win one of them each year was, I think was a big step towards getting that you know that end result, but um yeah there was a few, I had a, a team come to me after my second year, um which was, you know. Which I was, I was really interested. I was, uh, Leopard Trek. Remember that? Yeah. Um, but I just felt I wasn't ready, and I only did one more year. Um, you know, I and mean, that was so hard to do because, you know, at that stage you're thinking, right, all I want to do is turn professional. Now I've come this far, <laughs> all I want to do is sign a contract, be professional, and you know, it doesn't really matter what team, just to be a professional on that top level of cycling, and then. But then, obviously, this team Sky come along, and that then it was only a year. It was a year old, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, there's only one place I want to go. You know, I'm British. This team's that massive. You know, Bradley Wiggins is there. Mark Cavendish had apparently signed there for the next year, and you know, Garen, Thomas, Ben Swift, like a lot of the, a lot of my mates are there. Garrett Thomas, Ben Swift, Pete Kenner, Ian Starr, These guys are guys I've grown up with, and they're all there. So I'm thinking, right, I want, I want to go there. And then yeah, halfway through the, the the, sec, the sorry the third year then, um got offered that contract, um I remember Shane and Shane called me off the up on the phone. I was he? He what did he say? You if anyone knows Shane, he's like straight as the bat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, what do he say? Yeah, right, mate. We're all good. We're all good. You got a contract. So oh, okay, gosh, thanks, Shane. That's good. Oh, thanks. All right, no worries. The team will be in contact. Bye. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Oh, okay. And from this, and I was thinking, yeah, but what? So I can't go to another team now, or they were just like, right, you got a contract. Yeah, you're all good, mate. And hung up. And there was a couple of other teams at the time, um, but yeah, straight away as soon as I got that phone call from Shane, it was like, bam, done. Um, and I didn't have an agent. Like right. I did not even talk about money. I just said, yeah, okay, cool. When can I sign the contract? I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't think about saying, well, what are you going to pay me? I but that, said,
0: that would have been your first real paid, right? So you you're new to exactly, it. Exactly,
1: yeah. You didn't Well, know. the three years amateur, um, I got paid £7,000 a year and half of that instantly got paid back for rent. So, so you got paid seven and they were like, right, straight away, you give three and a half back for rent. So for, for, for
0: were you just renting a loan or uh, no, somebody else? That, so
1: that was part of the under twenty three like ah, okay. academy. Yeah. Um so so they kind of overseen. So you're renting one one other person in flats of two people. So you got three and a half grand a year. Wow. Which I remember we worked out, it was, it's seven, seven <laughs> like seventy quid a week, ten ten pounds a day. <laughs> and then yeah, you start, so I thought well, whatever I signed for was gonna be better than that. And yeah, it was um yeah, so sort of You know, they, they say, Oh, you got a contract. Didn't even think to say what you're going to pay me. Just thought, Right, yeah, lovely. Thank Can you. I signed the contract. Thank you very much. And that was, that was that was me done. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, wait, thinking it's... back now, and you know, when you this contract negotiation, is, you know, it's the, the main thing you talk about is what you're going to get paid in it. And then thinking back at the time, it's just, Yeah, lovely. I'll, I'll come. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks.
0: But that's the attitude though isn't it That uh, that meant that you were in it for for the right reasons yeah yeah yeah
1: I and still now it's not i don't do it for for the money i do it because i love it i think if i see it as it's a i'm in a fortunate position where i can do what i love every day yeah and someone's crazy enough to pay me to do it <laughs> like it's not it i don't see it as a job I really don't. It's, it's it's great
0: and how long are you and uh, your wife, Kath, been together? Cause I'm just thinking about the time and Then whenever you signed for Sky and whenever you did move here to Monaco and I met you guys uh, together then. so, Well,
1: um... oh, I've been with her for a long time. I, yeah, she's, she's a couple of years younger than me, so I or snatched her. She was, <laughs> she, was, she was 15 and I was 18. So, uh, yeah, there's kind of two years and a couple of months between us. So, yeah, what's that now? I yeah, learned. so she, oh, she was, uh,
0: you guys were together right through the amateur days and all the rest. So yeah. that must have been something pretty tough as well, what, what you were having to do to, to rent, yeah. paying that sort of three and a half grand, when I'm sure you guys would have liked to have been uh, renting somewhere together. But. Yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. And, and she, yeah, I think when you get together at that age, and then I moved, I had to move away. I lived in a few different places, Manchester, Italy. Um, and then she was in uni- university in Swansea. Yeah. You know, thinking back, you know, they were quite, you know, put a lot of in the relationship, don't they, when I'm in Italy and there was, you know, back in the days of Skype and MSN, that's all it was. Right. And you had to kind of arrange to, because I couldn't afford, obviously, a, a phone with that I could just pick up and call because, well, three and, of, <laughs> three and a half grand a year, that would have been my phone, though. Um, right. So yeah, that was quite, was quite hard, but I think, what they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder. It's like, you romantic, go. it's like a romantic story, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. No, I didn't realise you guys were together just as long as that,
0: but that's, that's good going. Cause I, I know like it, you as, guys, no? Yeah, we're 14 years as well, so... Oh, pretty childhood sweetheart, childhood sweethearts. Childhood sweethearts, isn't it? No, you guys have it tougher than us, because even right from when uh, I was racing in British Championship, when I first met Pip, mm-hmm. she could come to the races, and see him in the World Championship, but uh, Pip was able to come along to races. But for you guys, whenever... Limitations were put in place like that. But you had to live as part of the program, and then even now, whenever you guys go on grand tours and stuff, mm-hmm. that must be so tough as well for for you and also for for Kath and especially mm-hmm. more so now that you've got
1: a little baby boy, Ollie. Yeah, it's it's tough in that sense. I think you know cycling is, you know, it's a great sport. It's given me everything, and I love it. So I'm not going to bash it. But it's in in a lot of ways, it's it's really professional. But in a lot of ways, it, it's it is quite unprofessional um and that's not relating to uh the fact that you know your wife or kid can't come to uh a, a race but there's just it, throughout the whole sport it's just accepted that you know the family had nothing to do with with uh with the racing and you go to the race off your own back and, and that that's it and you know I think if I race you know 80 or 90 days a year and then I have training camps around that and um travel around that it's you know it's pretty much i'd say half a year 180 days yeah. away of which you know you don't see your wife or or son which yeah even now it's hard and, you know it's hard when it was just your wife but now when it's your son as well and you get to that stage where you know you're packing your bag and he knows what that means and, you know kind of crawl up or, or now walk up and kind <laughs> of trying to stop you pack your bag and stuff like that it's it's hard but yeah it's you know it is what it is and He'll understand when he's a little bit older and just got to kind of uh, accept that and crack on, don't you? I think, yeah, it was if 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 it was hard before, it's definitely got harder since having a kid. But yeah, I mean, the, how many years you got left in your career? you've Just got to crack on, and it's what it is, isn't
0: it? Yeah, that's it. Heavy sport has its um, pluses and minuses, and that's, exactly, I think yeah. that's a big one for you guys. But it's kind of understandable in a sense where. We're just two riders, so we can kind of yeah. have a, a wife with us there. Whereas it's a bit tougher for you guys uh, on grand tours, and
1: uh, it's I a think to be fair, like if uh, it's it's completely understandable, because if we like say you're going, like you're going to Qatar, so you travel with, with Pip and you'll be like in one place, yeah. whereas us for a, a well, any stages or, or a grand tour, it's you know, like a circus, you literally hop in from village to village, there's no, there's no base, there's no central hub, it's all, you know, hop on a bus, race point to point, You're just like a circus on the move, you know, so yeah. it's, it, you know, the odd, the odd time, you know, Kath and Ollie do come, and they pop in for a few stages, it's just, it's just a nightmare anyway, it's, just, it's more of a hassle than it's worth, you know, they're just bombing around the place, and you just, you don't get to see them anyway, yeah. like a, a race day takes the whole day, the whole day, and, you know, people always forget about the transfer after the, after the stage on the bus and then back to the hotel and and massage and dinner and all this. You don't get to see them anyway. So, nope. you know, when you go away, it's just leave them at home and see you in a couple of weeks, love. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's
0: no airs and graces with you guys as well as cyclists and that's something that I love because some car drivers, a little bit more snobby, not not as many successful guys, I would say, but kind of the middle wrong. They, yeah. they kind of expect uh, things whereas you guys, whenever you go... And you could be in the top step, the Grand Tour, or something like Chris Frim winning uh, you know, three at a row or something, and you're still having to stay in this shit same shit box hotel as the other guys. Whereas a Formula One driver, he's not gonna stay in anything less than a five star hotel in uh, Dubai and yeah. be well looked after. So I think that's why you guys are, are so well grounded. People often do look at TV and I know that Team Sky gets so much grief and all the rest that people yeah. think that you know whenever you guys had the nice team buses and even whenever you just had the the motorhome there, which was a great idea, following in the way of, of motorsport, it made so much sense. People think, mm. oh yeah, they're getting above themselves, but no. If they went and stayed in some of them one, two star hotels, they would soon realize after three weeks on the road racing like that, there would be nothing nicer than getting into a nice, comfy yeah. bed rather than having to worry about a spider crawling up your leg. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that's like it's so true. You try and, you know, the team was quite innovative in that sense, trying to, you know, move the sport forward, but the UCI unfortunately, you know, put a stop to that. Um, you know, but I think. Yeah, p- people don't understand that you can't just it, in the sport of cycling you can't just book what hotel you want you get what hotel is given to you by the organisation exactly. because so you got in any given race you got 160 to 200 bike riders you got 50 members of staff sorry that, that's bike riders you've got that again in staff so that's 400 you've probably got 100 media 100 organisation whatever so, just round it up. Say, say you're gonna have six between six hundred or in the Tour de France, like three, four thousand people, and you're in the mountains. Yeah, and you, and you finish in a village, in the middle of nowhere, and you've got to find accommodation <laughs> for six hundred or three, four thousand people. So they literally, they're just filling up every hotel wherever they can, yeah. whether it's nice or not. You know, top to bottom, every hotel is full, and you have to take what you're given and. Some night you might be staying in a beautiful chateau in the middle of France during the tour, and the next night you're in a Formula One in some ghetto in Grenoble. And it's just <laughs> You got to take what you're given, and it's not a case of saying, "Well, if you get if you get one of the shitholes, it's not a case of saying, oh, there's a nice place next door. Can we book that?'" You're, it's actually against the rules. Right. You're not allowed to do it. So it's yeah, you take what you, and it's. But I quite like that. It's like an adventure. Like you turn up to the hotel and it's like. What well, we got, boys, and you turn up, and sometimes there's like four of you in a room, and it's no. like some. And then other times you get, you know, your own room, and it's beautiful, and you're on a golf course hotel or something, and yeah, it's good. That's the excitement of it all. <laughs> That's all part of it. It's quite funny when you're in it, or I've I've stayed in what's, like, oh, some terrible ones. What was? We stayed in a lot of a lot of the time they use this is only in the smaller races, like student accommodation. So if there's a race when the students aren't there, um, like Sun Talk, for example, yeah. in, in January in Australia, you stay in the student accommodation and it's literally like prison cells. But it's great. It was such a crack with the, with the guys and you know no Wi-Fi. You're out in the middle of nowhere and you're out back in Australia. It's, it's, it's great. I love it. We, but we've seen some proper dumps, but we've seen some amazing places again. So I think... I enjoy both as much as each other. To be honest, it's quite funny. <laughs> I can guarantee that
0: there's probably hundred and seventy nine other riders in the Grand Tour that think different to you because probably. probably yeah. But you, maybe that's uh, due to the fact that you are just a tough bugger. <laughs> you know, the even in the, the peloton, I think you've got a reputation and you've uh, done what four or five uh, Tour de Frances in a row now, and you're the you're the road captain, and there's a big reason behind that because you are tough and you don't take any shit on the road.
1: Yeah, I think I try and um take on that role as road captain the best the best the best I can. Um so my first tour was two thousand fifteen, so it was a fifteen, sixteen, seventeen eight. Yeah, so might, yeah, five five tour to Frances in a row and You didn't make it to the end of the last one, I noticed. I don't, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> That's strange well. Yeah, well. I'll, so, I'll I'll
0: I'll research that when I get home. It yeah. strange.
1: Google it, I don't know what happened. It beats <laughs> me. Um so, yeah, four four and Four and what? Two thirds or something? Yeah. Four fifths, we'll go four. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've been broke up and all them, which has been an honour. I think it's just a case of, uh, it's, it's it's not like football or rugby where it's an honourable thing to have. It's just a case of being a guy who can communicate amongst all the riders on the team and, and the staff, and um, director of sport teams and just, I think it's someone who can just face up to problems and, and kind of I think a big the biggest thing is just to say as it is. Um you know if it's black it's black it's white and white and you know, if someone wants it to be black but it's white you gotta say as it is and even if it means pissing the odd person off from time to time. I think that's the biggest part of it all is just to communicate amongst people and, and say as it is and you know I think over time people respect that that you know you're not you're not gonna beat around the bush and, and you will say it as it is and and I think that's what makes a you know a good team a great team is just having that kind of transparency and transparency and and honesty amongst the riders especially you know in a team like ours where we got you know going into the Tour de France for example you got multiple options of genuinely winning the race and hmm. trying to balance different people's individual uh, ambitions is, is what you need just to be honest and truthful I think that's uh, where I try and help out the best I can um, for sure I make a lot of mistakes along the way but just try and, try and do the best I can for the, for the rest of the guys I think you're
0: underselling your role a little bit there because any guy that for a decade is willing to be that selfless and put other people's interests out of his own Mm -hmm. that's why you're road captain so i think you should really give yourself a big pat on the back because that's uh, not easy for any sports person whenever you're coming up through the ranks and you got um huge dreams and well you whenever i watch the tv coverage i think the commentators know well they're educated in the sport and they they know your input and it's pretty impressive what you do day day in day out to sacrifice yourself for somebody else's uh, gains and you've helped um Chris Froome, Garrett Thomas win uh, the Tour de France. So um oh, I think that's that's something very notable and you should be proud of that.
1: Cheers, mate. Well,
0: oh, wow. <laughs> that's uh that's my take on it anyway. So I appreciate your, your time. It's been uh, cool chatting to you and appreciate you sitting down with me for what we yeah, almost three quarters of an hour. So Lovely it's been a nice little chat and hopefully I get another few rides with you this winter in the road run Monaco. No problem. Time
1: for a curry and a beer. That sounds good. Thanks, Luke. Dark of the morning.